This is the book of 1 Samuel. Um, tonight it has 31 chapters, and um, I actually missed a few notes on here, but I think it'll work out okay because I think I maybe have remembered what I missed. But um, as we make our way through uh, into 1 Samuel, just a reminder to us if this will work. If I can get it to work, sometimes it doesn't want to. There we go. So we're ha- we have a key word for each book that we're studying. And the key word for First Samuel is prayer. And that may seem kind of odd um, for this book. But when we get to a point tonight, you'll s- I'll have uh, some places about um, so several, uh, about s- seven, I think, five, six, seven prayers in Samuel where um, we'll look at that tonight. So there are 31 chapters. And so as we said two weeks ago, and again, last week when we looked at the book of Ruth, the first eight chapters of Samuel fall in the same timeline uh, with the book of Judges. And it's probably, as we'll see in a moment, it probably happened sometime right after Samson, who was the final, the last of the judges in the book of Judges. So we, we remember what Samuel, I mean, excuse me, what the book of Judges says, that it was a time when there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And then Ruth was a um, refreshing love story that occurred during the time of the kings. And then when we get into 1 Samuel, we'll see tonight, Samuel's actually the last of the judges, and uh, he's also a prophet to Israel. And so um, we'll, we'll look at, at that as we go through the, the book of 1 Samuel tonight. So again, it was written during the book of Judges. Um, or occurred, it happened the first eight chapters in the book of Judges. So I went back and I looked at my timeline, and I think I had some, some numbers mixed up on here and had them wrong. So the time of the Judges was probably about 1460 to 1100 B.C., and then 1 Samuel picks up right where Judges ends and goes to about 1025 B.C. It only covers about 75 years uh, of time. So this is a Quick breakdown, like just uh, into three parts, and then we'll go and, and, and break it down a little further. Chapters 1 through 8, which again, remember, those chapters happened during the last, the very end of the Judges period, are the early days of Samuel, and we'll look at his life a little bit more in just a moment. It starts in uh, chapters 1 and 2. And uh, then chapter 9 through 16, we'll see the early days of Saul beginning as the first king of Israel. Uh, and talk about that a little bit. And then chapter 17 to 31, we'll see where Saul's uh, leadership as a king begins to uh, wade and it begins to fade out over time. And then finally it ends with the death of Saul. And then, of course, once Saul dies, David is the next king on the throne. And that will be 2 Samuel when we get to that. So that's just a, just a, like a, three, a breakdown of three major parts of the book of 1 Samuel. So chapters 1 through 8, you see the early days of Samuel, who was uh, God's prophet uh, to Israel, but he, um, he also, again, was the last of what we call the judges. And chapter 1, you see where his, uh, read through chapter 1, you see where his mother is praying for um, a son. And she's there in the, in the uh, tabernacle praying, and as she's there praying, uh, she's heard, Uh, as she prays, and she's misinterpreted for being drunk, and she's not drunk at all. Um, She was praying and praying for God to send her a son. She she, um, prayed and asked, and of course, God answered her prayer. Um, And so she 
she had a little boy named that she named Samuel and dedicated him to the Lord to serve the Lord all the days of his life. And that's indeed what happened with Samuel. He was a, a godly man. He was, again, he was a prophet to Israel. And he, um, he was, uh, God, God calls him and answers the, the prayer of his mother, Hannah. And then in chapter 2, Hannah has another prayer after he's uh, born. And uh, as a result of, um, of her prayer, when you read through this prayer, a lot of this prayer has to do with things that are going to happen in the future. If you remember back in the book of Judges when we looked at and talked about um, um, Deborah and Barak, remember we talked about them in the book of Judges and the battle that they fought, um, she had a song in chapter 5 of, of Judges. And we talked about, we were in Judges a couple of weeks ago, that most of that song that they sang together was actually a prophecy of some things that will happen in, that were going to happen in the future with Jesus' birth and then even his second coming. And so something very similar happens in the prayer that Hannah has here in chapter 2 because some of the things she prays um, or some of the things she prays about and mentions in her prayer is actually a prophecy. And when, um, when uh, John the Baptist is born, some of the things his mother says are very similar to some things that Hannah prays. So we don't have the time to put those together tonight, but if you go in the New Testament and read that in Matthew chapter, uh, uh, it'll be Matthew chapter 1, or excuse me, it'll be in Luke chapter uh, 1, where, where John the Baptist's mother prays uh, and, and basically says some of the things that Hannah said. When you get to chapter 3, you see where the last judge and the first prophet is born. His name is Samuel. And I want to read a little bit about this uh, in this chapter. Uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. We won't read the whole chapter, but let's read a few, read a few verses here to get us introduced to Samuel and his, his uh, conversion and his ministry, his calling and his ministry. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So, uh, it says he ministered to the Lord. He served the Lord before Eli. Eli was the was the uh, priest at the time, and Eli he had some sons that went wayward. They were not they they were not good at all. And we find out about that as you read on through here. But uh, Samuel is just a boy at this time, and God's about to call him to serve him uh, to be the ne uh, to be a prophet to Israel. And it says something there in verse verse one. It sounds very similar to what we saw in Judges where it said, every man did that which was right in his own eyes and there was no king. Verse 1 there says, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So there had not been, uh, there had been a couple of prophets mentioned in Judges, but none of them even by name really. They were, they were prophets sent to Israel to warn them, but uh, there's no open vision of what God wanted to tell his people during the book of Judges. You see where he calls um, the different judges, Gideon, and Deborah and Samson, he calls them, but there's no open vision. That is, he's not, he doesn't have a message for the whole nation. And so, and that's where Samuel finds himself as he's about to enter into uh, serving the Lord. Uh, it came to pass, and Eli was laid down in his place. His eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out of the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, Samuel was laid down to sleep. And then you see where uh, a couple of times here God calls Samuel and he at first mistakes it for Eli calling him. So when, as when Samuel's called, he's called and he hears God's voice. 
And he thinks that when he's being called, he's, I guess, waking up from sleep. So he thinks that maybe Eli is calling him. Verse um, 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou hast called me. And he answered, I call not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So in these next few verses, basically is where Samuel is converted. We think of, he becomes a believer in the Lord, and he's called by God to be, um, to be um, the next uh, prophet to Israel. Um, and the thing is, as you see this here, um, God calls him and uses him under Eli, and yet Eli didn't realize what was going on. Eli was a prophet to the people, or excuse me, he was a priest to the people, but he didn't even realize what was going on. So his, he was not close to the Lord at all at this time. He was basically going through the motions. And yet Samuel is called uh, as, as he serves with Eli in the, in the temple there, uh, which is it's a tabernacle, but they use the word temple. As he's, as, he, as he's called there, it's under a man who's really not even paying attention to the things of God. So, you know, obviously... Uh, God can use anybody uh, for us to learn from in, 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 uh, in the spiritual, in our walk with the Lord, in our spiritual life. So finally, he understands it. And Eli, verse 9 says, says to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant hear it. So he realized enough to know that, that it was God that was calling him. And Samuel does that very thing in verse number 10. And then when you read on down through there, you see, as Samuel begins to uh, grow, not only grow physically, but he grows uh, spiritually and begins to get ready to take on the responsibilities God has for him. And so I want us to go back for just a moment and see verse um, 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now the ark, of, which is the ark of the covenant, it is very important to, to Israel. So they use the word temple here. Uh, because at this point, remember the tabernacle, when they were in the wilderness, it went from place to place. Well, at this point in Israel's history, they're in the promised land now, but the tabernacle is set up permanently. So it's referred to as a temple, even though it's not a permanent building, because that doesn't come until Solomon builds the temple, which is David's son later on. So it's called the temple because it's in a permanent Place, even though it's a temporary building, and the Ark of God, of course, is in the Holy of Holies, and it's a, it's very sacred to them because God, His presence is found there at the Ark of the Covenant. So keep that in mind because in these next two chapters, we're going to see uh, more about the Ark of the Covenant, and actually in the next chapter a little bit more. So as you read on about Samuel and he grows, uh, we see something in chapter four that is very sad because what happens is they go into battle. With the Philistines, uh, the, the enemy people, they go into battle with them. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. And the word of, of Samuel came to all Israel, and Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. When they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew the army in the field, about 4,000 men. Now, they go straight out to battle, and they don't ask the Lord, Lord, should we go to battle? Lord, will you be with us in battle? They just go straight out there uh, into battle. And, and then it says uh, they're at a place called, uh, beside a place called Ebenezer. And then they, uh, as they're going into battle, 
they, they realize the enemy is uh, about to uh, overcome them. Verse 3, when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us uh, today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was set up. And when he cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Now notice they never even prayed and asked, Lord, protect us. Lord, be with us in battle. So what they did was they took the ark of the covenant, the most sacred piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And they used it as, if I can use this term, they used it basically as a good luck charm. They didn't ask the Lord about anything they said, look, if we take the ark, that means it's God's presence and it'll be with us. So if we take the ark, we're sure to, to be in victory. We're sure to, to, to be able to uh, have victory over the enemy. Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh, they might bring forth thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Then you read down through there. And you see where many uh, are killed in battle. In fact, um, Eli's sons, and you get to verse 10 and 11, where the Philistines fought and there was a, a slaughter there. And uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, they were killed there in verse 11 in battle. And then read on through, um, let's skip on through to verse, um, pick up at verse 17, the messenger answered, said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. Not only were they, did they suffer great defeat in that battle, but the ark that they thought they could take as kind of a good luck charm, it was taken away. It was stolen from them. The enemy took it and took it back to their camp. And then look at verse um, Skip down to verse uh, 19. The, the Phineas' wife was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings of the ark was taken, her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She bowed herself and travailed for her pains. Then she gives birth. Verse 21, she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. That's what that name Ichabod means. There's an um, uh, old folk story. What is it? Um, Headless Horseman. His name is Ichabod Crane, right? That's his name. Yeah. So Ichabod means the uh, glory is departed is what it means. And the glory had departed from Israel. And she named that child that. And it was a reminder through the years of their, of their loss in battle, of their failure. It says, because the ark of God was taken, and her father-in-law uh, and her husband. And then it says, the glory, verse 22, she said, the glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. And so uh, the ark was taken in battle, and God's glory, not only is it seen as his presence with the ark, but his glory was gone. Israel was defeated by the enemy because they never looked to the Lord. They trusted in what the Lord had. So as believers, a lesson here is to realize that our trust must be in the Lord, not in some kind of a ritual. And there are a lot of things God gives us in the Christian life that are wonderful things and uh, wonderful people and so forth like that. But our trust must be in the Lord. And so in chapter 5, the, it goes on to tell us a little bit more about it. We won't take quite as much time in that chapter. But when you get to chapter 5, you find out that God judges the Philistines because of this. And because of them taking the ark, and then the ark's return, and it's returned reluctantly. Because he, uh, as you read through there, you see that he, he um, gives them something that <laughs> makes them want to give, uh, he causes something that makes them want to give it back. One of the things he did interesting was they had an idol called Dagon. Look in verse um, 
1 and 2 of chapter 5, and they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the house where their false god, uh, where, where his statue was located, Dagon. And so what happened was overnight, they go into the next day to check on and see uh, the Ark of the Covenant in there, and Dagon had fallen down. And his uh, hands were missing and his head had been chopped off. It was, it was just a stump of him was there. And so they realized this was something done by the, by the God of Israel. He did that. And then you read on through there and then finally they decide we need to send the, the ark back. We need to, get it, we need to let um, the Israelites have it back. And then you go into chapter 6 and they still have it, but they um, end up uh, sending it back. Look at verse... Um, uh, look at chapter 6, verse 4. When they say, What shall the trespass offering which shall offer return to him? They answered, Five golden emeralds, five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and on your lords. Wherefore, you shall make images of your emeralds, images of your mice that mar the land. Ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure, he will lighten his hand from off you and from your gods. Now, this is them talking, you know, they're talking to themselves, and um, they were worship idols anyway. And so uh, they were making these, um, uh, making some type of offering to try to get the curse of God off of them. And so uh, they end up and God um, uh, gets the ark back to the Israelites, back to, the, to Israel, the chapter five and six. Then Samuel leads uh, the nation to return to the Lord and go over to chapter seven. Verse 1, And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So Eliezer is a, is a priest and he becomes a priest. And he keeps the ark of God for a period of time. Um, look at verse... Um, Nine. Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy to the Lord. Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. That means to make them uncomfortable. That means to, to, that they were injured in battle. and They were smitten before the Lord. Verse 11, And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto have the Lord help us. We saw that uh, Ebenezer mentioned a couple of chapters back. We have a hymn in our hymn book that unfortunately has been changed over the years, but uh, we sang it Sunday, in fact, uh, Come Thou Found of every, every Blessing. And there's a verse in there that people have thought for years, what does this mean where he, this hymn writer says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. It's not in our hymn book. They changed the words. It's verse 2. And the meaning of that comes from this verse. Uh, when, when, the, when the writer of, the, of that hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, it means uh, God has given me a victory in my life. And he compared it to this victory here in chapter 7 and verse 12, where Samuel took that stone and he called it Ebenezer with this saying that, uh, that meant this, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And so, um, in our life, there are times that we can look and see where God's blessed us and he's helped us and he's answered prayer and he's taken care of us. And so in that sense, um, we should thank him for helping us and set up a memorial in our life, something we remember that God has done and blessed us. And so um, he called it Ebenezer. And um, again, that, that uh, hymn had that, uh, it's still in some hymn books with that, with that phrase. I think that's the second verse or third, somewhere in there. 
So he leads them to victory, and Israel finally, uh, they got the ark back now. They, they were in vi- they, uh, rejoicing. We had victory over the enemy. Samuel offered up an offering, named, uh, and then um, and, and, and praised the Lord and thanked the Lord and set up that place at Ebenezer. Then chapter 8, pick up at verse 1. We'll skip around here. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. So even though Samuel was the last official judge, uh, he made his sons judges, but they didn't have near the uh, responsibility that he had or that the, the, like Samson or some of the other judges that we know of. And so um, you read on through there, and you find out that they want uh, a king. Pick up at verse number 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people and all they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So up until this time, Israel lived under God's leadership, under what we would call a theocracy. Now they want a monarchy. Now they want a king, like all the countries around them, all the other nations, they wanted a king too. And God says to Samuel, hearken to the voice of the people and all they say. Go ahead, Samuel, let them have what they're asking for. He says, because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so from this point on, we know in in chapter 9 that Saul's about to become their first king. So Israel had to learn another hard lesson as if they hadn't had this lesson before and hadn't learned from it. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. They got what they wanted or thought they wanted. We want a king. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. God was reigning over them, but no, we want a king. We don't want this anymore. We want to be like the other countries. So, okay, Samuel, you go ahead and do what they're saying. What they ask, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And then you read on through there, and he, he warns them about, um, uh, to Samuel about other gods and so forth. And certainly we know that's exactly what ends up happening. You get to chapter 9, and this begins um, the early days of Saul. He's the people's choice. He's the one that the people wanted, verse 1 of chapter 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechroth, the son of Ephiah. Go back five generations. A Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Verse 2, he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. For there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So that means that the second tallest person, second tallest uh, individual in, in Israel just came up to his shoulders. He was that much taller than the second tallest one. So he was the tallest man in Israel, um, was probably a, a good-looking man. He was uh, their choice. And he calls him a choice young man. Whatever age he was at this time, he was, um, he was seen as being a choice for the people. So the scripture uh, goes through here in chapter 9 describing him, and uh, he's the one that God knows um, uh, is going to be king because that's the people's choice at that time. I believe had they waited, David would have been their first king. But they wanted a king then, and so um, the Lord tells Samuel, to, to uh, I want you to anoint him. And you read down through chapter 9, and you'll see where he does that very thing and uh, anoints, anoints Samuel to be king. 
uh, and at the beginning of chapter 10. So he calls him aside, and Samuel knows that's what's to be done, and he calls Saul aside for that purpose. So in chapter 10, verse 1, that very thing happens. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? So he's chosen as king, he's anointed as king, and he takes them into battle against some of their enemies, the Ammonites. Uh, he goes into battle with them and leads them into battle, and they win in battle over the Ammonites. And then in chapter 12, we see where um, there's now a transfer of authority from Samuel to Saul. Verse, pick up at 12, verse 1. Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice all that you have said unto me, and made a king over you. And behold, the king walketh before you. And now I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. So as you read on down through there, you see where he says, The Lord's our witness, verse 5, and uh, the people hear what he has to say, and he transfers his power over to Saul. So now, officially, even though Saul was already, already king, now he has the power as a king. And so Saul's, uh, Samuel's kind of saying a goodbye to some of the people because from this point on, he's going to kind of be more, more solitary. He's not going to be out in the public as much. And then um, he, he um, kind of um, gives them a little bit of a goodbye, and he says in verse, pick up at verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. More as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in, sinning to, in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. So uh, Samuel, as he addresses the people, he uh, tells them the importance that he has of praying for them uh, as still their spiritual leader. And then you go into chapter 13 and you see the first place where Saul begins to rebel against God and against um, uh, what God um, had commanded him to do. In fact, at, at one place, he, he ends up offering a burnt offering. Skip to verse uh, 14. Uh, and Samuel's talking to Saul in verse 13, and he says, well, yeah, go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. Uh, thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And of course, that's David that he's talking about, even though he doesn't say that name. And Samuel probably doesn't even know yet that it's going to be David, but he knows the Lord is seeking for a man after the Lord's own heart. And here, even though Saul will continue to reign as king for the rest of the book, he says, thy kingdom shall not continue. He said, Saul, your days as king are limited. They're going to be ending. Chapter 14, we see where Jonathan, Saul's son, goes into battle and uh, gains victory over an enemy there in chapter 14. And uh, when he does, though, uh, Samuel, or excuse me, Saul takes credit for David's victory when David had led them into battle and won the battle over the enemy. And so uh, Saul, you can see from this point that after Samuel had told him, your days are numbered as king, his pride just get, gains more on him. Then you read on... Um, through that into chapter 15, and you see his continued rebellion where um, Saul is uh, told, Saul, I want you to, to, to take all the, to get rid of all the Amalekites. I want you to slay all of them. I want you to not leave anybody, anyone standing. I don't want you to take anything. And so Saul uh, goes in and he partially obeys. He leaves the king, uh, he spares the king's life over the Amalekites. And he brings in some of the uh, animals, in fact, back with him. Um, pick up at verse 
6 of chapter 15, Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get you down among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would, um, would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed utterly. So he only partially obeyed what God told him to do. He said, I want you to take, uh, I want you to destroy everything. I want you to flatten it. The Amalekites have gotten to a point in their, um, in their idol worship that they're going to bring my people back into idol worship. And he said, you need to destroy everything. And so uh, Samuel comes to talk to him. Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, yeah, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone by the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And you read on through there, and Samuel says, I hear these sheep bleeding. Why are they, why are they bad out there? Why are they bleeding? What's going on with that? You were told to take everything. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So he had disobeyed God, and basically Samuel tells him, uh, now, Saul, you're going to be replaced. There's going to be another king. You get to chapter 16, and David, he, um, he's, he's beginning to uh, come on the scene. You get to chapter 16, you find that David's got brothers, and David's father, Jesse, um, the brothers, some of the brothers were uh, in Saul's army apparently, and we see in chapter 17 that some of them go into battle. But here, God tells Samuel, I want you to go down to, um, to look for a man named Jesse, and one of his sons is going to be king. So as he does that, Saul goes and looks at his family. He looks over each of them. This is not the one. This is not the one. Is there, are there any more? Of your house, Jesse. Yes, I got a little young son. His name's David. He's probably 12, 13 at the time. He says his name's David. And so David was very faithful to do what his daddy told him to do. David took care of, uh, of his dad's flock. And uh, David played the harp with his hand, it says there. Uh, we find out about that. And so he anoints uh, David to be the next king. And then he goes, uh, departs from there. Samuel does and goes to Ramah. And then... Um, Saul finds out about David, and he realizes David plays the harp. And verse, look at verse 23. It came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp, played with his hand, and Saul was refreshed, it was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So they start out on a good note. But then when chapter 17 comes around, David is a teenage boy, and there's a battle in the midst, in the valley between the Israelites and the Philistines. And this is probably one of the most uh, well-known passages of Scripture that's taught in Sunday school and preached about and taught in children's church and, and uh, so forth. And a uh, story you've heard many years and many times. And so David hears about the battle that's going on. Many of his brothers are there in that battle. And he hears about a battle that's going on with the Philistines that there was this big giant. So David realizes... If y'all are not going to do something, somebody's got to. And he says in verse 29, uh, is there not a cause? And David knew that this was more than just a battle 
between people. This was a spiritual battle because the Philistines worshipped a false god. And then, as you know, David sees that giant, and rather than thinking he's too big to hit, he thought he's too big to miss, and David uh, destroys Goliath. And so I put it in capitals there. I put David's name in, in capitals, and I put Goliath in all small letters, where David, uh, of course, slays the giant Goliath with that stone as he, as he puts it right between his eyes and his forehead and knocks him uh, completely out and, and defeats the giant. Then in chapter 18, we see where uh, David is uh, being, um, he's being, well, for lack of a better word, he's being praised right now because he had killed and destroyed the giant. And there were those that were saying, you know, David is killed, uh, Saul's killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. And so uh, Saul gets jealous of that. But in the meantime, David and Saul's son, Jonathan, who would be the heir to the throne, um, they, be, they, they have a friendship and they make a covenant between them. And they have a friendship that later on Saul gets very jealous about. And he actually uses his son David as a wedge to try, or excuse me, his son Jonathan as a wedge to try to get back at David. And you get to chapter uh, 19, they've made that covenant and Saul attempts to kill David. In fact, he attempts more than one time to try to kill him. He takes a spear to throw it at him to try to kill him. And so God uses, uh, God helps David escape, but also he uses Jonathan to stay between him. And he helps him escape in chapter number 20. And uh, they sit down to a meal together and, and David is, uh, Saul thinks David will be there, but he's not at the time. And so God's sparing him. Chapter 21, David escapes from Saul and uh, stays on the run for a while. Then when you get into chapter 22, David begins to gather men together. Chapter 22, pick up at verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. There were about 400 men. So um, misery loves company sometimes. And so here uh, David begins to uh, attract these other soldiers that are either distressed or in debt or discontented, or um, they know that Saul is not uh, the right king for Israel now. They know he disobeyed God, so they go to David, and David uh, gathers about 400 of them and becomes basically leader to them, and uh, many of them will continue to be faithful even, uh, to him even after he becomes king. And so when you get to uh, chapter 22, uh, David gathers his men together, and then 23, uh, Saul, at the end of chapter 22, excuse me, at the end of 22, Saul uh, has some of the priests killed. Uh, which is a horrible thing to do. And um, you read in verse, well, pick up verse 17 of chapter 22. The king said to the footman that stood about him, turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me, but the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. So um, he did not want them, them uh, uh, he wanted them to be killed. And so um, these, these uh, men, uh, at first these men said, we're not going to do that. That's wrong, but that's where his jealousy uh, toward David had gotten him. That, that's where, how far it got him. He wanted to see David killed. In chapter 23, David goes to another, to another battle with the Philistines, and then Saul uh, pursues after David. David and Jonathan make another covenant in chapter 23. And then when you get to chapter 24, David's again finds him, David again finds himself by himself. Uh, in in um, a wilderness there in chapter 24 in verse number 1. And so David 
um, sees Saul. Saul's asleep at one time, and David could have taken his life. He could have taken Saul's javelin and basically killed him with it, but he didn't do it. Twice, David spares Saul's life. That's the first time. Then we get to chapter 25, Samuel dies. Very sad day, uh, especially to David. David uh, loved Samuel very much, and Samuel's the one that anointed him to be king. And so uh, Samuel dies. It's a sad day, certainly not only for David, but for all of the nation of, of Israel. And so um, you read on through there, and you get toward the end of the chapter, and you see where there's a man named Nabal that David actually wanted to kill. And, and his wife, it's a great story if you read down through those verses, starting about verse, um, uh, well, most of that chapter, but especially verse 32, uh, Abigail uh, talks him out of that. And then um, when Nabal dies, uh, Abigail becomes uh, his wife. And so um, we see where um, David uh, more than once had opportunity to, uh, to destroy somebody, and, and he did not. David retreats to Ziklag, and this is where in chapter 27 he actually finds himself among some of the Philistines, and um, he got an um, honorable discharge from a dishonorable army, <laughs> and he ends up with the Philistines, and it says that he, he, he dwelt there, verse 7 of chapter 27, for a year and four months, and he was uh, not anywhere near Saul during that time although Saul's jealousy continued. Chapter 28, Saul is in desperation. He knows that everything's crumbling under him, and he goes to visit a witch to be able to, if she would conjure up Samuel for him. There's a lot in this chapter, and we don't have time to go into all this tonight, but needless to say, as he goes, uh, he disguises himself. It says there in verse 8 when he goes to see this witch, because Saul had already uh, said that any witches in the... the, uh, in, in Israel, they were to be destroyed. And so when he goes to this witch, he disguises himself. He didn't want to be known as Saul as he goes to see her. And so um, he knew that it was forbidden to go to visit someone with a witch, those who, as it says here, um, had familiar spirits. That word familiar there means basically you see the word family in there. So what, it, what they did, oftentimes they would go to, this, to, to someone that had a familiar spirit and they would want to be able to talk to the spirit of someone of their family that had died. Well, even though Saul wasn't family to or Samuel wasn't family to Saul, or however you want to look, either vice versa, he wanted to see if that witch could bring up Saul. And so, as, as you read through and you know the story, Saul talks to her. Uh, excuse me, Samuel talks to him there. He said, "Why did you Why did you uh, bring me up?" And then, um, as you know, because of that, that's when when God basically said, "This is it." Uh, Saul, my patience has run out with you. You get to uh, chapter 29. Then you see the Philistines, even though David had been among them for a while, they didn't trust David. And probably because they knew that David was going to maybe be the next king, or at least he would be under Jonathan, and they thought that he would turn on them. Um, And then in chapter 30, you see where um, David, he fights against the Amalekites, the other enemy of Israel, because Saul, remember, he was supposed to destroy him. And he didn't. So David goes into battle against them, and he was distressed. His wives were taken captive. By the way, there's nothing in Scripture that, in, that God ever encourages more than one wife. God doesn't do that. He allowed it, but he never encouraged that. And so uh, David's two wives were taken. 
Um, Abigail was, was uh, the most recent one, the wife of Nabal. We saw a couple of chapters before. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now David was, he was, uh, as, as described, he's a man after God's own heart. There were a lot of things about David that were inconsistent. But, you know, we're all Christians. We all fail. We all disobey God at times. We all um, mess up. We all sin. And so um, David had his share of that. But yet he still is a man after God's own heart. And when you get to 2 Samuel, you see how that shows in his uh, reign as king. Then chapter 31 ends the chapter. There's a battle again with the Philistines. And in this battle, Saul is in in the battle and he's injured. And uh, his son also, Jonathan, both of them end up being killed in battle. And, of course, Jonathan would have been legally the next king under, under his dad, Saul. But uh, both of them die in battle, and uh, it breaks David's heart. And David um, knew that he was about to ascend to the throne because he'd been anointed to do so by Samuel. Now Samuel's gone, Saul's gone, Jonathan's gone, and so the chapter ends really sad is uh, Samuel's injured, or excuse me, Saul's injured in battle, and then he ends up um, basically committing suicide, and that, that ends his, uh, his reign as king. So let's look at a few things quickly. We're running right on, on the line tonight. So um, there are 19 psalms, and when we get to psalms, we may look at these a little bit, but there are 19 psalms that were written during the time of 1 Samuel. Now, it may not be the whole chapter, but some of the verses, but 19 of them are, are written during the, the time of 1 Samuel. Also, of course, it was written to Israel. They were entering now the time of the king. Saul was the first king. Some lessons. They were not enjoying the land as God has intended for them. Remember in Judges, they were in the land after uh, Joshua had led them in the book of Joshua. They were in the land, but then the enemy would come in and God would raise up judges to destroy the enemy and tell them, look, you need to take the land. I've given you this land. And they either were very half-hearted about it or sometimes they would just allow the enemy to continue to have idol worship. And then still in 1 Samuel, they're not taking the land as God intended for them to have. The other thing is, is uh, the glory had departed when the ark was taken. But when we get into 2 Samuel, when David reigns as king, we see uh, God does a lot of good things among his people. And then the prayer of Hannah. If you, uh, this is going to be kind of quick, so if you want to maybe take a picture of this for references. In chapter 1, in verse 10 to 28, there's a prayer. We said the theme of this book is prayer. There's a prayer by Hannah. In chapter 7, verse 5 to 10, there's victory in answer to prayer. And we see that, remember, um, as, as Samuel um, had been with them as they went into victory over the enemy. And then in chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, Samuel is driven to prayer. Um, at that time, is it's, it's going to a time where um, they're about to, uh, or in the next chapter, they anoint, he anoints Saul, but the people have told him, we want a king, and so Samuel goes to prayer for the nation. Chapter 9, verse 15, God reveals some secrets in, in answer to prayer. And then in chapter 12, verse 19 to 23, there's a failure to pray, or, or, or a failure to pray, excuse me, would be sin. That's where Samuel says, God forbid that I should cease and pray and sin against the Lord, in ceasing to pray for you and not praying for you. And then in chapter 28, verse 6, Saul's prayer is rejected, uh, chapter 28. So we see prayer several times in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Jesus is pictured, of course, as prophet, priest, and king. He's all three of those. Um, 
He's a prophet. He's a priest right now in heaven. He's called our high priest. And then he'll come back one day to reign as king of kings. Uh, and he's, David is a, a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus. You read through uh, 1 Samuel, many of the things that David does is a foreshadow of our Savior. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. And uh, I think it's precious in the day we live in. Uh, the th- 13 verse 14 describes David as a man after God's own heart. And then in 1522 is where Saul had disobeyed and God said to obey is better than sacrifice. Saul tried to justify taking all those sheep and everything by saying, look, I've got sheep that we can offer up. But Samuel knew God's command. You were to, you were to destroy everything, Saul, and to obey God is better than sacrifice. And then David, of course, the battle is the Lord's when he fought, uh, faced Goliath and fought Goliath. So let's stop there. We've got time maybe for a couple of questions or some input. Anybody have any questions or anything? Input tonight. All right, that's a lot to fit in 31 chapters in one night. So Lord willing, we'll try to get into uh, 2 Samuel and, and cover it next week. That'll be the reign of King David. And there are a lot of highlights in there that'll be uh, really interesting for us and um, begins his reign. And of course, uh, he continues on into the book of 1 Kings. Um, that's where we, we see a... Um, God do a lot of things in his life there too. So anything before we close. All right, let's stand and close in prayer and we'll dismiss and um, hope you have a great rest of the week. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And uh, as each night goes, uh, each Wednesday night, Lord, I know there's a lot that we put into one study and a lot of highlights that we hit. And there's still a lot of questions and a lot of places, Lord, in, in each chapter to, to go back and read over. And I hope that this is motivating us, if nothing else, to get deeper in your word, to, to draw closer to you through your word, Lord. And to know the things that you put in there for us that we can go back and read and we can learn from the lives of those men and women in Scripture. Um, several of them we think of tonight. I think, I think of Hannah at the beginning of the, of the book and her uh, love for you and the, how you fulfilled the desire that she had of her heart and, and, um, and had a son for her that would be prophet and, uh, over Israel and what a blessing Samuel's life was and to study his life. And of course, uh, there's Jonathan, there's David. We thank you, Lord, for these men and women that we study in Scripture. I pray that you watch over us as we leave them here tonight, Lord, and uh, throughout the rest of our week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.